I said, hey, ladies and fellas, if you're listening, as a woman of color, it is so hard to find lipsticks and glosses that really pop on my beautiful brown skin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When the lipstick is giving lackluster instead of Lil Mama, okay? (laughs) Well, I discovered the most radiant, saturated, and pigmented lipsticks for richer complexions, and I found them at the Lip Bar. The Lip Bar is a black woman-owned and led beauty brand that focuses on providing effortless beauty options for all women, but especially women like us with highly melanated skin. Oh, and did I forget to mention that all Lip Bar products are vegan and cruelty-free? Get into it, friends. Make sure you click the link in the show notes to receive 10% off your first or next order of beauty products at the Lip Bar. Hashtag, you're welcome. You know, I don't advise people to go to graduate school unless they actually need it, unless they need Mm. it to pursue the career of their interests, unless they need it to pivot unless they need it because they need an advanced degree to move up in their field or they need an advanced degree to move up in a salary band when it's required. If it's not required, don't be spending your money. Don't be wasting your time. There are other things you can do to gain skills, to gain experience, to keep moving up in your industry. You are now listening to the Sugar Free Podcast, the premier life advice podcast for millennial women. Welcome to the Tea Party, friends. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. You know it's sugar free. Now tell me, girl, how you like your tea. Up in here, we like it sugar free. Come through, stop by, get up with me. With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy. Ooh, right here with me. It's where you wanna be. Let's get it Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Sugar Free Podcast, the life advice podcast for millennial women, hosted by me, your homegirl in your head, Sid Mack. So thank you guys so much for tuning in for another fantastic episode of the show. How y'all feeling the new intro? Give me some feedback, give me some comments. Y'all know I'm always trying to level up. I'm always trying to make things better. So y'all tell me, do y'all miss the rap scriptures? Do y'all miss the songs? Y'all tell me how we feel and how we live in. I'm here for it all, okay? So, well, now that we got the housekeeping out of the way, let's let's get into this episode. I know I've been keeping my intros kind of short this season, but that's because we just have so much good content to get through for our guests that I don't want to waste any time. But I will do a solo episode at some point this season just to catch up. Okay, we need to we need to check in, friends. You know how they always say you need to check on your strong friends. Okay, well, I'm the strong friend and I need checking in on. So we're definitely going to do a solo update episode at some point during the season or maybe during the remix. Just, you know, when y'all getting a little tired of the remixes and we need to refresh a little bit 
may be a great time. So we'll just do our own episode rather than me kind of catching you up every week. Does that work for you? Wonderful. Great. Book it. So where are we going this week? This week, we are talking about graduate degrees. (laughs) Because if there's anything that a millennial woman loves more than an avocado toast, more than a Starbucks latte, more than the pumpkin spice latte now that it's fall right if she loves anything more than that it's a degree honey okay as we've talked about in previous episodes millennial women are among the most educated demographic in the country okay give it up for us give it up for us we are smart we are educated we are getting these degrees And so generally, though, when I throw out that statistic, I'm talking about undergrad. And so you can't get to graduate school without an undergraduate degree. So we also are primed to be the most educated period in terms of higher education. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this topic today is because with the rising cost of inflation, especially the rising cost of education related inflation, right? With research suggesting that after adjusting for currency inflation, college tuition has increased 747.8% since 1963. 747.8% (laughs) y'all. And in the 1980s, the most extreme decade for tuition inflation Tuition prices increased 121.4%. That means it's more expensive than ever to go to graduate degree, but is it worth it? With studies also suggesting that the average individual who attends a graduate institution will only see a 10 to 15% increase in their salary uh, by virtue of having the degree. So you almost have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it, friends? And if it is worth it, how do I get the most out of this experience? How do I learn all that I can learn? How do I go at a time when it's going to be the most advantageous and cost effective, right? Because a lot of times we just like, oh, I want a degree, girl. Oh, I think I want to change my career. Get a degree. Without really asking ourselves, do we need one? right so if we're gonna go we need to make sure that a we need it and b we make it work for us to the best of our abilities and so to ensure that we do that i have invited to the tea party today doctora yes put some respect on her name doctora yvette martinez vu who is an accomplished scholar academic mentor excuse me femtor coach author who is here to talk to us about how to leverage our graduate degree all right y'all ready good i'm so ready doctora martinez vu welcome to the tea party girl please tell the good people who you are and what you do well of course thank you so much for having me my name is doctora yvette martinez vu i am a Chicana academic coach. When I introduce myself, I usually, I usually tell people that I am a first generation child of immigrants, first in my family to go to college. And all of that informs my trajectory going into college and then from college going on to graduate school, from graduate school thinking I was going to become a professor, 
lots of things happen. I'll, I I may share more if we get to it in terms of yeah. life life happening that led me to then go on to switching career tracks, going into student affairs, academic affairs, helping students help you know learn about how to navigate the graduate school process. So that's kind of what got me into this whole coaching, mentoring, femtoring. I'll talk more about what that means yeah. and how I define it. And um, and now I'm a little less than a year into doing this full time. I left my over 10 year career in higher education last year, moved my family abroad to Portugal. And now I do this. I, I provide one on one coaching services to first generation students of color. Uh, great majority of them are working class. Uh, a great majority of them are black and brown, like BIPOC. Um, they're also folks who may be, they're just different. They may be neurodivergent. They may be queer. They may be disabled. I myself am disabled. I have chronic mm. illnesses that I manage um, regularly. That's the story of my life. Um, yeah. And so I I, I provide one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have my own podcast by the title okay. Grad School Femtoring. And I'm writing a book. I'm in the middle of okay. writing a book that's um, under contract with the University of California Press. And it's called The Grad School Femtoring Guide, uh, Successfully Ooh. Navigating grad school applications, which will be coming out in early 2024, because academic presses go under peer review. So there will be many revisions, I'm I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I do. That's who I am. A little more about me. That is so exciting. Can I first say that I love how you introduce yourself as doctora? Like, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> yes so when you put your initials you always put dra and i was like I what, do. what does the a mean and now i know <laughs> yeah <doctora. laughs> there's only so many of us you know when it comes yeah. down to the pipeline when it comes down to black and brown folks latinas chicanas you know mexican-american in the u.s there's not a lot there's like point two of us who get a PhD. So I like to remind people about the doctora and I'm okay going, you know, first name basis. Like I don't, you know, with certain people, <laughs> depending on who they are, if they question me, I will remind them of my title. But yes. for the most part, I'm okay. First name basis, but I don't mind reminding people. Yeah, I, I have a PhD and, you know, I learned a thing or two or two in grad school. Look, we're going to put some respect on your name, okay? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Because it is such a an honor to have you here. And, you know, in, in addition to the fact that, like you said, you are one of a very small few women, Latina women who hold that title and have earned that degree. So we want to put some respect on it. Okay. We, <laughs> we're not trying to take none of that away from you. <laughs> so proud of you. And so you mentioned uh, quite a few times that you specialize in fem touring. And yes. so can you break that down a little bit more for us? Yeah, so when I use the term femtoring, I am referring to feminist mentor and female mentor. So I choose to use the word femtoring as opposed to mentoring because I mm. want to call attention to the way that 
this kind of work, the kind of labor that I provide, the kind of labor that a lot of women of color provide in higher ed, in academia, and in a lot of other industries, just to be frank, is gendered labor. It is. And so for me, I want to remind people that like femtoring, you know, it's, you know, when when you when you look at different um activist spaces, when you look at different movements, it's a lot of women who are at the forefront providing a great deal of the labor and the work. And so for me, femtoring is important, you know, for the folks that I work with to to know that I come from that framework, the framework of mm. social justice, the framework of an understanding of differences between race and gender and class and ability, disability. So um, I think femtoring in a nutshell ties it all in for me. Yeah. Oh, I like that, too. I really like that, too, especially once you describe the population of people that you have elected to serve. It makes a whole lot of sense um, so that they recognize and understand kind of from the outset that you all have a shared goal and, you know, a shared identity. And I feel like for a lot of people of color, it's important to work with, especially when you're working with somebody who you're looking to have as a coach or a mentor or somebody yeah. that you have to invite into potentially a very vulnerable space to have somebody that, you know, understands your challenges and where you're coming from. Um, and what challenges you may face, because the challenges that we face as women and women of color are going to be different than, exactly. <laughs> you know, even applying to law school uh, or graduate school. So I, I have a law degree, which my listeners know we talk about it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the the application process is a little different. Not not that we all aren't filling out the same application, but for example, standardized testing standards are a little bit different across demographic that people may yeah. not recognize or realize. Right. Because the standardized testing generally for black and brown students is lower. So if a school wants mm -hmm. to get the top black and brown students generally the average top student is going to fall a little bit lower than the typical median range of test scores. And so it's it's good to know that because yeah. I see so many black and brown students getting discouraged when they don't score what they think is like the right score. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 hold on. You, you might be all right now, you know. And so to have someone who comes from a background who understands the unique challenges facing that particular demographic and population, like I'm here for it. I keep nodding my head because you have no idea how many times I have talked people out of telling themselves no, because they think that their grade point average isn't high enough or that their test score isn't high enough or that they are not good enough when in fact they're they're more than more than enough. And then they come back at me surprised that they get into, you know, one of their top programs after going through the process. So it's like this, these are the different components they look at. They look at it's not just one thing. And standardized testing, thank goodness, is becoming less and less of a um, requirement across the board. At the very least, when it comes to the graduate record exam, so for for graduate schools, for master's programs, PhD programs, it's it's less common for 
more and more programs are not requiring it, thankfully. Yeah. Mm, we're going to get into that later on because I, yes. I mean, listen. Oh, I, I can keep going about how classist <laughs> these exams are and how I am not a fan of them and how I do not recommend you take it unless you have to. So, <laughs> Ooh, well, I definitely <laughs> want to circle back. So yeah. the a staple on the show is that we provide somewhat of a framework. I feel like it's, mm-hmm. it's the lawyer in me. It's the professor in me. I like to define things. I like to set the tone of the episode with some facts. And so I'm so excited that you're going to be able to talk with us today because we as millennial women, a lot of us are interested in higher education. And so millennial women are one of the most highly educated demographics of individuals in the country um, with upwards of 30 plus percent of millennial women holding bachelor's degrees. Mm -hmm. And so with that being the case, I know lots of millennial women are also interested in obtaining graduate degrees, but trying to figure out, is it worth it? Should I do it? Do I need it? If I do go, when is the right time to go? Five years, 10 years, right after undergrad. And so I'm so glad that you're here to kind of provide some advice for those of us who either may be a few years removed from um, bachelor's degree or undergrad, or maybe like as, as much as 10 years, right? Because now millennials, like we're like close to 40, some of us, you know, so it's a pretty wide range in terms of how far we are, um, from undergrad. So I'm glad that you're here to kind of walk us through that. So based on my research, I found that the average cost of a graduate degree, like currently is around thirty to forty thousand dollars on average for like a mid-tier two-year program. And then yeah. it can be a hundred thousand dollars plus for a top program, let's say top five top 10 top 20 school and what have you and that Um, that (laughs) that's expensive when you consider that on average the salary increase that people can expect to achieve from obtaining certain master's degree this is based on my research is 10 to 15 percent for degrees in like human services and sciences 25 percent on average um across all degrees and then 60 to 150 percent increase in salary for top top MBA programs let's say the Whartons the Kellogg's the HBS's of the world and so knowing all of that um in your estimation as a femme touring coach and professional, like, do, would you advise that graduate school is worth the expense or are there certain times when it is or certain times when it's less? Like, can you kind of walk us through your framework for deciding whether or not graduate school is worth it from a financial perspective? Okay. So um typically I don't, when I'm advising someone, we don't just look at the financial perspective. We include it. It is a very big part of the process, but it's not all of it. It's, you know, I don't advise people to go to graduate school unless they actually need it, unless they need it to pursue the career of their interests, unless they need it to pivot, unless they need it because they need an advanced degree to move up in their field or they need an advanced degree to move up in a salary band when it's required. If it's not required, 
don't be spending your money. Don't be wasting your time. There are other things you can do to gain skills, to gain experience, to keep moving up in your industry. But if it is required, then yes, you want to take a look at the average um, cost, but also that's that's not the first step. <laughs> the okay, first step okay. Is, What's the, the first, first step? step? Is figuring out <laughs> where where do you go? Like, how do you determine where to go to grad school? Well, what is your career of interest? Okay, who are the people doing what you want to do? So uh, you can find these folks on LinkedIn. You can conduct informational interviews. You don't know folks. Oh, what if you have some uh, schools of interest? reach out to the current graduate students, reach out to the graduates, look up people who have that degree on LinkedIn, see what mm. they're doing now. Do you like the jobs that you're seeing? Reach out. That's the thing. So when you're first generation, when you are, you know, a lot of times, if you're first generation, if you're a person of color, you might be dealing with imposter syndrome. You might be struggling mm. with feelings of self-doubt. You might not be feeling good enough. You might be feeling like a fraud. It's hard to reach out even more if you're introverted like I am. It's hard to put yourself out there. But you need to because it's through these connections that you gain the information about the programs that are going to be worth your time, the programs that are going to be a good fit for you. So the, the biggest thing is, is this program a good fit? For me, it's not just go to the U.S. news and uh, reports and find the top 10 programs. If if you're interested in social work, I'm just going to go find the top 10 programs on that website. No, 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 no. It's where are the people preparing the folks who are going out, like the programs that actually have the solid retention rates and have the placement rates at, and are helping folks get the jobs that you're interested in. You find out about that by interviewing people, by talking to folks. And then, unfortunately, this does happen where sometimes you get into a top program. It's a really good fit and you get no funding. Mm. And what do you do if you're poor, if you're working class, you're in a top, you get into a top 10 program. It's a really amazing master's program. They offer you zero. Even after you ask around, nothing is available and you're looking at spending over six figures out of pocket student debt. In those cases, the the math is not mathing. It doesn't <laughs> make sense. You, I, this is what I do. So this is an exercise that I also do with folks yes. that I work with is uh, go to a, a debt calculator and actually, so look at what are the salaries for the folks that have this degree and have the jobs that they get with this degree. What are the salaries of those folks? Realistically, with that salary, how much of that can you put down every month and go mm. to the calculator and see how long is it realistically going to take you to pay that off? And folks are usually surprised. A lot of times they're not doing this on their own. And then they realize, oh, wow, this 20,000 is going to take me 10 years. So maybe 20,000 didn't seem like a lot, but all of a sudden when they look at how much they can afford to pay, it becomes a lot. They don't always consider interest and how that adds up so quickly. And so, yes, uh, that exercise of the debt repayment calculator is a great one. For a lot of folks going into PhD programs, mm -hmm. they are often getting in fully funded. And even then, I still ask people to work on a budget and to figure out how they're going to make ends meet because fully funded does not mean you can afford your quality of life because it usually <laughs> yeah. means a poverty level full funding. So you might get twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year, but in a lot of places, that's not livable anymore. Yeah.
Mm, okay, so I have a, a few follow up questions. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing that you said was first, we need to determine whether or not the degree that we are seeking is required for our field of interest. Yes. How do you kind of how do we determine if it's required? Because I know people will, you know, come up to me all the time and feel like it's I need it. I need it. Right. Like this is idea. I need it for what some of the reasons that you mentioned. Right. <laughs> Imposter syndrome. I yeah. need it to move up in my career. That's not a need. <laughs> That's a want. That's I want to make myself feel better. I want to right. boost my confidence. That's, that's something else. Or maybe they just have a strong, deep desire to get an advanced degree. And that can be worthwhile to some. If you know you're going to regret it if you don't go on. And like I gained a sense of consciousness. Uh, a sense of my own identity in the world from my PhD program that no one can ever take away from me. And I don't regret that, even though mm. I have a PhD in theater. Am I using it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I thought I thought that I needed it because I thought I wanted to become a professor and a professor at a research institution. And to do that, you do need a PhD. So that's an example of like when you actually see the job ads for the career of your choice and it says master's degree required, PhD required, EDD required, PsyD required, JD required, whatever it is, mm -hmm. if it's required, if it says preferred, it's not required. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it's just like the job postings that I've seen, but I feel like the ones that I've seen very rarely have in a higher education requirement. Even when I look at C-suite executives and individuals, for example, a lot of them don't have anything more than a bachelor's degree. You may have some that have an MBA, but there are many who don't. And so trying to figure out what is required. So I have one more question in terms of that like requirement caveat. I feel like in communities of color, there is this old adage that we have to work twice as hard yeah. just to get half as much. And so in those instances where you're saying that a job description may have like a preferred higher education requirement, but not a mandatory higher education requirement. And so in those instances, do you think it's still better as a potential applicant to have all the preferred qualifications or as many as you can checked off to increase the likelihood that you will not only get the job, but be successful in the job and be seen as credible and knowledgeable and experienced in the job? Or in your experience, do you feel like if, if you don't absolutely need it, reconsider you know um I could say yes you need it and come work with me I will coach you through the process and that would be nice but I don't like to sugarcoat things in yes. actuality I really don't think you should be getting a graduate degree unless it's required why because it's a big commitment and it's mm. a it's a big time commitment it's a big financial commitment and for a lot of us for a lot of communities of color it holds us back from reaching big life mi milestones if you're going in taking on student debt a lot of us don't come from generational wealth we don't have trust funds we don't have parents who can pay these things off for us we don't have folks who can do things to give us a step up and and so if you're having to take on six figures of debt i i just 
it's hard for me to justify that when those six figures, I, how would that transform your life? That could be a down payment on a home. That could be emergency savings for you and your community. That could be you starting a business. That could be whatever it is. Like it's, it would transform your life to have that extra six figures. And I've seen time and time again, folks go into graduate school because of the wrong reasons, I'm happy to share some of them. Yeah. Like some folks go to graduate school because they're bored. They don't know what they want to do. So it's kind of a placeholder, just a way to give themselves more time. You can give yourself more time without having to take on student debt. So they're bored. Maybe they are going into graduate school because they are trying to avoid paying student debt from undergrad. And so they just want to keep deferring their debt. Or sometimes it's because it seems that's what everybody else around them is doing. Uh, their friends are doing it. Their parents are telling them to do it because their parents might not know any better. Or maybe a mentor is like, you're yeah, a great student. Go on to graduate school. That happens to a lot of us. <laughs> that happened to me. Yeah. Um, what else are not so great reasons? Maybe they, um, I'm trying to think of, of a couple of other ones. Because I talk about this in our book too. Like what are mm. some not great reasons? Um Maybe because you're just needing more time. And so it, you're afraid that after undergrad that you are going to lose that window of opportunity. Mm. And that's not true. I mean, a lot of folks think I'm going to lose those, those ties with those professors. Not true at all. Plenty of people going to graduate school, they're able to get secure letters of record. They're able to re-engage with these professors who they haven't talked to in a long time, get those letters of rec apply and, and and go in. So there's, in terms of right or wrong time, it's, and right or wrong reasons, it's figuring out if it's a need for you and an actual need, and then um, going and doing, following through on it at whatever stage of life you're at. So you can be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. I had cohort mates who were in their 40s and 50s and they wanted to get their PhD to advance in, in their careers. And I was in my 20s. It It's not, age should not be a, a reason or a determinant whether or not. It's, it's really your circumstances. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay, so I have a couple more follow-up questions. So I think that like buying more time is a super popular reason, especially if the economy is in fluctuation. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and yes. now that we are hitting a recession, I'm sure that there are lots of people out there who are considering higher education as a means of making themselves more attractive in a less than favorable job market, or I'm going to just kick it here at grad school until things kind of level out again. And so what alternatives do you recommend um, to graduate school if you just feel like you need more time? If you need more time, uh, do you mean alternatives if you're struggling to get a job out of undergrad or? Um, both. Like if you're okay. struggling to get a job or if you just need more time to kind of find your way or figure out what, because I think some people use graduate school, um, especially right after undergrad as a way to like, oh, undergrad's over I don't really know what I want to do or where I want to go let me just stay in school a little bit longer um 
but not even knowing if this degree is really going to help them get to where they want to go because they really haven't figured out where they want to go yet. And so just some alternatives for that situation or even the scenario you just described where, you know, struggling to find a job. Like what, what are some alternative things that people can do while they're trying to figure it out? I mean, it also depends on their financial situation because some folks may go, in my case, for instance, I didn't want to go back home. I didn't feel like I had the option. My mom's single mom, six kids. I didn't want to go back home. I wanted something, an opportunity for me to be able to pay the bills, even if I wasn't making a lot of income. And graduate school was, it seemed like the right next step. I knew I wanted to become a professor at the time. I didn't want to go back home. I didn't want to be unemployed. I had, you know, I I graduated during like the recession, the you know, 2008, around that time recession. So it was really hard to get jobs. And I thought to myself, what am I going to get with a degree in English literature, maybe a job at Starbucks? I, I, what I didn't think at the time was that actually there are a lot of skills that you gain with an English literature degree. I just had not learned about how to put myself out there. I had not learned about how to, you know, um, connect with folks, how to, um, figure out how my skills that I currently had were transferable and how to move my way up. And and I thought that you had to go up the ladder in a career. So you had to start from the bottom and go all the way to the top. I didn't realize you could be pivoting. Now I've pivoted Mm. so many times. (laughs) Um, So what you can, you know, if, if you're struggling to get a job and financially you can afford it you could always volunteer there's a lot of great volunteer opportunities you can reach out to folks doing the work that you're interested in if you're not sure about the work that you're interested in talk to folks there are internships that are available some are paid some are unpaid i'm not a fan of unpaid internships i think Mm -hmm. you should pay folks for their labor but um it's it's up to you sometimes that unpaid internship might be two hours a week and it's two hours a week to get an in or you can reach out to folks, you can shadow them. I, I'm like, why Why are we not having enough conversations about shadowing people, about going in, whether it's virtually, whether it's in person, shadowing folks in their work to see how it is that they do what they do. Um, like I said earlier, conducting informational interviews and treating that, treating job hunting, treating informational interviews as your job so that because the more you know, the closer you will be to what you want to do. And right now it's it's hard. You know, if you graduate, you're not really sure what you want to do. It does feel kind of good. Like at least you have something to say that you're doing next. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to grad school. It's a socially mm-hmm. acceptable thing to do. Mm-hmm. But um, it's OK to take a gap year or two or five or ten. Mm-hmm. We should be allowed to take our time. So long as, again, we have a roof over our heads, we can take care of ourselves. I understand that for some folks, going to graduate school may be a better option than not having any income and not being able to survive. So if it's a, a means of survival, I I don't blame you. I've heard of folks who said, I, I decided to go to graduate school so that I could have health care. And mm. I'm like, you know what? I respect your decision because I need healthcare as well. So I, mm-hmm. I understand it's not ideal. You know, if in an ideal world we would have universal healthcare, mm-hmm. in an ideal world we would have our basic needs met. Uh, because we're not in an ideal world, some people have to make these very difficult decisions. But if you have, again, the support, if you have the privilege, go out and volunteer. 
go out mm-hmm. and do the networking, go out and get a part-time job, go get that internship, go shadow someone. Um, there are a lot of things. And, and also there are certification programs. There are community college courses. It's not the end all be all that you have to commit yourself to two to potentially 10 years of your life to go to graduate school. You could always test the waters by taking a course here and there and see how you feel about that, that industry. Yeah. Mm, you said 10 years, 10 years. What? Doctoral programs. <laughs> yep. I know some, some <laughs> historians writing their three, 400 page dissertations who, who don't have enough support and end up staying. I mean, eight, four to eight years is more average, but I, I know folks and even my own, some of my own friends who have stayed in graduate school for that long. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that's a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get out as, as quick as possible. Ooh, and even for me, it took me six years and I was trying to go quick. <laughs> Ooh, listen, that's yeah. like, I thought law school was a lie, but that, that is a lot. That, that is a lot. I, I, I can, I can kind of attest to that too. Like in terms of it takes how long it takes and taking your time with it just because so in my own experience, I got out of law school in three years, but I don't think I knew enough about what it meant to be a lawyer before I went to law school. It just was this very prestigious thing to do. And I got into a very good law school. And now I feel like I'm taking my gap years now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still working, right? But I don't know if I see being an attorney as a career for me so much as a placeholder while I figure out what's next. And so you can either, you know, take the placeholder later, (laughs) you can take it now. But eventually, if having a career that is satisfying to you is important, you're going to have to figure it out eventually. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to help anybody on on their decision making process. But like when I look at my life in 10 to 15 years, I don't see myself being the general counsel of a company. I don't I don't see myself being a partner at a law firm. And I don't think I've ever seen that for myself, even when I graduated law school. Like it all sounds good. But when I look at my life, I'm like, do I really want to be doing this still 15 years from now? And the answer for that for me is no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I I'm curious as well to hear a little bit more about your journey before we wrap things up with um you know, some advice for people who are considering going to graduate school. Just I'm curious, you've mentioned a couple times that you decided not to pursue a career in academia, which is what you had in- originally gotten your graduate degree to do. And yeah. so I, I'm just curious to know a little bit more about that part of your journey and why you decided not to pursue academia and what you decided to pursue instead. And did you like find it more fulfilling? Like, I think that this is something that people need to hear is people who've gotten graduate degrees and maybe are not even using them. <laughs> yeah. You know? I may not be using, you know, the theater degree 
in particular, but I sure am using those skills. Yes. <laughs> so, tell us about that's, it. That's why I, I tell people, I'm like, I don't regret it. And if you go the grad school route and you decide to shift, there's a lot that you're going to bring with you. There's a lot that can't be taken away from you. But in, so for my experience, I, I went to college right out of high school. So I was a, a traditional student, was the first in my family to move out of the home. That was a big deal as an eldest daughter in a traditional Mexican family. Mm. And I thought to myself, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was like, am I going to study math? Am I going to study English? Am I going to study neuroscience? Why those things? Because Math always came easy to me. I was an ESL, I was a Spanish speaking ESL student, English as a second language student. Growing up, uh, numbers made sense. English language was difficult. So math came easy. English, I had a really great English teacher in high school who made me rethink reading and writing. I, I started to like it. So I thought maybe I'll go that route or neuroscience. My, my father passed away suddenly when I turned 12. That was a big formative event for me. And I thought to myself, well, he passed away from a brain aneurysm. I want to learn more about the brain. Let me see, like, maybe this can be a thing. Took one course in neuroscience, nearly failed. I was like, hell no. <laughs> so so um, I, I stayed with the English literature track, even though it was more challenging. And I got into doing theater as a minor because I was always doing that as a kid growing up. I was always acting. I did stage managing. And so naturally, for I, I got involved in these research programs and I started conducting research on Chicana, Chicanx theater. And um, I thought, well, that's awesome. Like I get paid to go watch comedy shows and have a good time. I'm just going to make this a career. I'm going to become a professor. And so I went and um, applied to theater and performance studies programs with the intent of becoming a theater professor. I thought I'm going to do theater on the side and I'm going to study it and I'm going to help all these students. And But then in graduate school, everything started to be okay until, I mean, my first year wasn't okay. I was surviving. Every It was all foreign language. And I realized yes. I'm like, I'm the only first in person here. Yes. Everybody seems to have a master's degree. I don't have a master's degree. I went straight mm. in to the PhD program. So yes, that's right. You don't need a master's degree to mm. go and get into a PhD program. Uh, I didn't feel like I fit in, but I was I was doing all right. I was meeting all the milestones. Second mm. year, completely burnt out. So I burnt out so much that I developed a chronic illness. I started getting a lot of tummy troubles back then. They called it IBS. Eventually, I realized it's microscopic colitis. And then after that, a whole bunch of other stuff, interstitial cystitis and migraines. And the list kept growing in terms of chronic illnesses. This all started at the height of my burnout in graduate school. I was not eating well. I was not sleeping. I was reading all the time. I had no social life, no relationship with my partner. We've been together since college. And so I... Um, <laughs> I know this doesn't make any sense, but I decided at the time that I that it was I was going to go into having a fellowship year, have a little bit more time to slow down. And I thought it was good timing to try to have a baby. And so I got pregnant. And um, again, I thought everything was supposed to be OK with the pregnancy until it wasn't. I that was when another big formative event was having my first child, my son. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I had him in graduate school. I had him shortly after passing my qualifying exams, which is a big deal. You had, you become a doctoral candidate. And I um, suffered a bunch of complications. I um, hemorrhaged while giving birth. I lost three liters of blood. I had to have a bunch of procedures to save my life. And then after the fact, I didn't realize until 10 months after he was born that I was struggling with postpartum depression. It got really bad. And uh, with the combination of, of medication and therapy, I was able to get better. But those two things, the chronic illnesses and that traumatic childbirth completely changed, transformed my life. All of a sudden, I started working on student advocacy for student parents. I realized how toxic the university space was and the culture, very white supremacist, very classist. I mean, I knew these things, but it really hit me as a mother. I think I felt it even deeper um, because the reality was I had to work three part-time jobs to make ends meet, to barely be able to pay for part-time daycare for my child. I was struggling with depression. I was struggling to survive. I didn't want that for myself. So I thought to myself, am I going to go on the job market when there's no guarantee that I'm going to get a tenure track job? Because over 75% of faculty are not on the tenure track. Mm, talk like, about over it. <laughs> over 50% of faculty are adjunct professors. They're contingent employees. They're making poverty level wages. They don't get benefits. I knew this. I learned this as I was going on the job market. And I thought to myself, uh-uh, mm. I'm getting a job with benefits. Uh-uh, I'm getting a job with a salary. Mm. I'm not doing this. I am not going to kill myself for this yeah. profession. And so um, to the disappointment of all of my Mentors at the time, my advisor, my committee members who helped me with my dissertation, I told them I'm not doing this. I'm going to be applying to these other jobs. Some folks refused to write me letters of support. Mm. It's okay. I had to move on. But I, I applied to jobs in higher ed where it's more student support based. So I knew I wanted to work with students and I wanted to work with students like me. So I wanted to work with students who are first generation students who are students of color. So Black, Indigenous, um, Brown folks. I wanted to work with folks who were working class or poor or just um, just oppressed in whatever way, shape or form and try to make their lives and their experience a little better, a little less toxic than what my experience was. And so I, my first job, I worked in a scholarship center. Like the job wasn't the best fit because of the student population. Again, I was like, I really wanna work with first students of color. And then my next job was working for the McNair Scholars Program, which helps um, helps low-income, first-generation, and what they term underrepresented students, underrepresented in higher ed, get into graduate programs. And so that's kind of what got me into this whole um, learning all about the ins and outs of the graduate school process. And I, yeah, like I said, last year, I left my, my job um, directing that program at University of California, Santa Barbara to pursue moving abroad and starting this full time because I had already been doing the podcast. I would coach on the side, do editing work too here and there since I graduated college just as a side hustle to make ends meet. Um, but I decided, OK, let's do this. Let's try this out, do this full time. And Loki, let me kind of take a little bit of a sabbatical. So let me take a little bit of a career break. So I'm not like 
hustling anymore. I'm not trying to do it all. I'm trying to do what is enough for me, for my body, for my family, yeah, for my clients, for you know all the people that are part of my my um, network, my community. Yes, yeah. girl. Listen, I felt so much of of that. <laughs> <laughs> and what I, I you can't, said. I know I said a lot. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> we might be over time, but I can't not like share about these experiences because there are folks out there suffering in silence and it's, it's not okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like people also, before they decide to take the leap of going into grad school and, you know, we talk about the consideration of cost and is it the right time, but we also don't talk enough about whether or not, you are mentally prepared, emotionally prepared yeah. for the stressors and the rigors associated with higher education and academia. Um, it's 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 a stress that not many people understand. And yeah. so I feel that. And to hear that you develop these chronic illnesses as a result of going, it's so funny because my family is like, you're so different since you went to law school, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it does, it changes you in ways yeah. that I can't describe. Like, I think that they're thinking more that my thought process and analysis is different, but there's so much about me that is different that they don't even know. I was such a confident person mm -hmm. before I went to law school. After going to law school, and, and I don't think that this is necessarily unique to, to, uh, people of color, but definitely, you know, for any marginalized group, whether that be women and, and even some of my white male colleagues and counterparts who went to law school, like there's just something, it just breaks you down yeah. to be in this pressure cooker of stress and competition. And in law school, we're graded on a curve where everybody can't get an A. It's impossible. Yeah. everybody could turn in the exact same paper and somebody's got to take the B, the B minus, the B plus mm -hmm. so that the curve can be maintained. And so when you're a student that is busting your butt, you're used to getting straight A's. Ain't nobody going to a top law school that ain't the top of the top. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same for PhD programs. I'm sure you experienced this as well. And it's like you're getting into this environment and it's it's tough to rationalize doing your level best mm -hmm. and like getting a C like that is some mental trickery that I had never experienced before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm literally <laughs> busting my butt, not sleeping, not eating, not having a social life, like do, literally like doing all the things. And I'm like. I'm not even close to the top. My first year of law school was like, <laughs> it's so interesting because I am a lecturer. So I am full time at my alma mater. And so I'm teaching alongside my professors now. And I know some of them are like, how'd she get here? <laughs> you know? Doing here, you know. I love that you're there. <laughs> That's right. I am here. <laughs> I love that I'm there too, and I actually love teaching, and I love my students, and that is something that I do see myself doing twenty years from now, even if not practicing law specifically. But the the mental toll 
that that takes on you and not to mention so presently at my university almost 80 percent of our tenured faculty is white and male it was even more than that when I was a student there right and so also the stress and the pressure of not having anyone on campus who looks like you, who you can talk to, like we yes. had, you know what I mean? Like advisors and most of the, I think we had maybe one or two professors that were black women and they were fantastic, but they had the burden of trying to support every, every, yeah. <laughs> every minority student in the school. Right. You know what I mean? And then like a lot of the black and brown folks that we had on campus were in administrative positions. And so they weren't necessarily in positions to provide some of the the coaching and mentoring that we needed on how to get through because they hadn't been through you know what I mean and so it was just it was a lot of my factors I too was a first generation law student as were a lot of my you know fellow law students and so even trying to get an internship whereas you know other students might be like oh I'm just gonna work at my father's Mm. law firm (laughs) where they making millions of dollars that's a, you know what I mean? Like that's a top tier law firm. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even have a concept for that because that's not part of my reality. And so like my confidence took such a hit. I was like, do I belong here? Am I worthy? Uh, You know, am I good enough? And that has been something that I have not been able to fully shake until this day. Right. That imposter syndrome, because if, if you're feeling like you don't belong at school, it's like, now do I belong in this workplace? Because you're going to work with the same people, maybe not the exact same people, but generally the same people you went to school with. Like, do I belong here? Do I deserve this? Have I earned this? And so it's it's those little things that you develop in in graduate school and those habits, like not eating, not sleeping, not having a yeah. social life. And you know what I mean? Like all the things that you feel like you need to do to be competitive that we don't talk about that people need to kind of understand and recognize those are the burdens that can come with an academic experience. And so I feel like that's why it's so important either a, to pick a really good one that's right for you. And I'll say this in my alma mater, like I fell in love with the school. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that there were too many places that could have been better for me to be, but it's just the nature of the beast. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and so picking a place that you really love and enjoy and or, you know, rethinking and reconsidering, do do I want to take on everything that comes with it? So I just appreciate you sharing that because there's just people don't even realize yeah. how difficult that is yeah. and to navigate. <laughs> oh, I'm you know, triggered just I thinking don't, about it. <laughs> I don't want to scare people away because I do think that there are really good people out there. There are good people doing good work. You just have to find them. But I also want to remind folks that the university environment, the way it's set up, it's not set up for people like us to survive and thrive. It is inherently white supremacist. It is inherently classist and racist. And so when you feel like you don't fit in, why is that? It's because the university space itself is not set up to look at your assets and to value your assets. Instead, they might be looking from a deficit-based lens. They are not um, thinking about your needs, about your accommodations, whatever makes you different. They're not thinking about cultural awareness per se. Not all, some programs do, you know, but not all programs. 
are have this embedded within you know their their ethos within their frameworks and so i just want to remind folks like they you will you may well not you may you will struggle if you're a person of color if you're a woman of color you will deal with microaggressions macroaggressions even more so if your identity is multi-layered intersectional at multiple intersections you are oppressed um it's 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 important to know this so that way hopefully you can develop a support system you can develop a community you can surround yourself with folks who will affirm you so to counter all those microaggressions you have micro affirmations and hopefully macro affirmations folks who believe in you sometimes more than you believe in yourself yeah. that's what's going to get you through so again i'm like i I don't want to make it seem like, oh, grad school is great. I also don't want to make it seem like it's the terrible, it's the worst thing. You should never do it. You can build a support. So even if it doesn't currently exist, you can build it from scratch if you need to. So just know if graduate school is needed, it is a possibility, even if you maybe don't always feel like you belong or you're included. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to ask you, like, what's your best advice? But that was some good advice. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I do want to kind of circle back on that I know I promised before I let you go um, that I think a lot of people have questions about is the standardized testing requirement. So as people are, because that I think is also as a non-traditional student, meaning you have not gone straight from undergraduate to a graduate program, that's a difficult hurdle for a lot of students to overcome is mm-hmm. studying for some type of standardized tests while working a full-time job and trying to reacclimate themselves with the, the testing <laughs> process and the thinking and analysis and rationale. And so I know you had mentioned that a lot of schools are doing away with the requirement, mm-hmm. but students can still take the test and submit a score if they want to. Do you generally recommend that students take it anyway to potentially improve the strength of their application? Or are you finding that students are able to successfully be admitted into schools without it? Well, um, I mean, currently the way that the graduate school admissions process is set up, there are it's it's up to the program and the department to determine whether or not they're accepting the graduate record exam. Some folks are making it, it a requirement. Some folks are making it um, optional, and then some folks are not requiring it at all. If you are in the fortunate um, circumstance where none of your schools require the graduate record exam, I don't recommend that you take it unless, uh, again, unless you're in in the rare exception where you have time to study, where you're a really good test taker, where you're in a field where the exam means something. So how do you find out? So if programs are requiring the GRE score, certain Programs have an average score that they will share. Certain programs sometimes have minimum scores. And so they might say, we want you in the 80th or 90th percentile minimum. And so if that's the case, you know, I have to reach this one score. Maybe I have to reach 160, whatever the score is, you need to reach it. If that's the case, yes, study, take it, do your best. In some cases, retake it. But if it's 
if it if it's only going to hurt you, potentially hurt you, why take it at all? Why bother? I have seen in some cases where students were it was not required, they didn't take it, and one out of I don't know ten schools asked them to write an essay on like why they didn't take the GRE, and if that's mm. the case, they talk about their background and you know the history of you know standardized testing, the lack of access, the lack of financial resources, all that write a short paragraph about who they are, why they chose not to take the GRE and call it a day, that's been okay. Um, but really, I think that the first step is to work on a graduate school list. So find out what programs are you actually applying to from there, how many of them are requiring them? None of them are requiring them. Well, good for you, you don't have to study, you don't have to pay for it because that's another cost, paying for mm. test preparation, paying for the test, and then on top of that, paying to submit your GRE scores to each institution. That mm -hmm. adds up quickly. So um, if it's uh, maybe, people ask me all the time, should I send it? Should I send it? It's optional. And I say, well, if it's optional and <clears throat> none of your programs requiring it, require it, then don't submit it. It's optional. Just take it for what it is. It's optional. If it's optional and some of your programs do require it, then take a look at holistically your application is your score good enough that it's going to help offset a low GRE a, a low GPA for instance then mm. yeah include it it's going to help you we ha I had a student who had a very low GPA for his field and a very high GRE score and so mm. I was like awesome go ahead and submit it and it worked out in his favor but again you got to look at it holistically if it's going to help you include it if it's only going to hurt you don't include it if it's not required don't bother because you could be using that valuable time to work on other more important components of the graduate school application like fine-tuning revising editing getting that the grad school essays really um solid for submission yeah mm. speaking of um if we want to work with you what services do you offer and where can we find you can you help us speak yes. our grad school essays? <laughs> I do. I do. So I, I, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching packages. One of them is a grad app review session. Um, I also help folks get organized like from beginning, from the process of like, I don't know where to go to applying. Um, I also have an online course. So if folks want to do their own learning on their own time here, everything that I have to say about the application process, I walk you through beginning to end how to apply to graduate school, including how to prepare for interviews, how to negotiate for more funding, all those things. Mm. So from beginning, from like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm getting started on my grad school list to I'm saying yes to an offer. I have a course. Um, but yeah, generally, if you want to work with me, it's one-on-one -on -one coaching. I've got different packages depending on your needs. You can find me on my website, which is gradschoolfemtouring.com. I am also on the socials, so you can find me Grad School Femtoring on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter. And sometimes I pop up on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
on the socials. And I love that you mentioned negotiating for more funding because I feel like most people don't realize that there is an opportunity to do that. And so Mm -hmm. I negotiated actually even my law school merit scholarship. A lot of people don't realize you can do that. But a professor told me that and he was like, you take this money that you got from school X and you leverage it. And that's exactly what I did. I was like, they offered me this much. How much more can y'all come up off of? And they did. I've helped people get more funding <laughs> and then they go off and use some of that extra money to keep working with me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Or they get professional development funding and then let the institution pay mm-hmm. to work with me. So I'm like, okay, keep doing that. I don't, you know, so I'm like, leverage whatever resources you have and if you do end up going to graduate school take advantage of everything that's within your means that you have access to at that institution because why not you are paying for it yeah Amen. This has been so educational and so wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. So before we let you go, we have to do our sugar-free quickies, which is a series of either or questions. Today is a little bit different because I have like a a different kind of quickie thrown in there, but it's typically a series of either or questions where you have to choose one, but you cannot choose both or none. You ready? Okay. (laughs) Okay. If you had to get one, would you get an MBA or a JD? A JD, because my husband got an MBA and I helped him with his. So I feel like I already know that. The JD, I don't know. And I'm a nerd and I like learning. So. Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if the job market is trash, what are you doing? Getting a grad degree or go be un- underemployed? Underemployed. Mm. <laughs> Not what you thought I was going to say. <laughs> Unless I needed the grad degree. Do I need it? <laughs> I know you said not either or, you know. <laughs> We're going to put you down as underemployed. Okay, so this is the the not typical sugar-free quickie question. If you had to do it over again, what would be your dream at graduate school? UC Berkeley. Ooh, I applied there. They didn't let me in. <laughs> they didn't let me in either. <laughs> but they paid to bring me back to talk. So yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I love that. Okay, two more. If you are having a summer time that is free and available, what are you going to do? Study abroad or an internship? Study abroad. That was one of my regrets in undergrad, not doing it. Study abroad for sure. I didn't study abroad either. Um, all right last one what would you rather have money or power that's a tough one I feel like money because I can gain power with it (laughs) the power to support multiple communities (laughs) yes no one chooses power and I support that (laughs) well thank you so much again for joining me today I am so glad that you were able to share your knowledge and expertise and your story with my audience because I know that they need it. The decision on whether or not to go to grad school is really such a personal one. And so for that reason, I rarely like to give advice on whether folks should or should not attend. Um, I personally believe that my law degree has served me well because quite frankly, I couldn't be a lawyer without one. But my general rule is if the math ain't mapping, meaning the benefits (laughs) don't outweigh the cost, then don't do it. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you guys so much again for tuning in this week and be sure to check back in next week for another fantastic episode, real talk, and of course, plenty of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try formally today.